The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts. Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Iesus, The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. As stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance, which is Jesus. In this episode, we continue our study of types and shadows with a study of the ancient Jewish wedding. As we shall eventually see, The type of the ancient Jewish wedding has impact in its substance to many important issues, including eminency and the timing of the rapture. Consequently, the topic of the ancient Jewish wedding is not a ritual relegated exclusively to the Old Testament or of historical antiquity. 
The various types of the ancient Jewish wedding hold truths relevant to the body of Christ, his church, today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit would prepare the soil of our hearts, minds, and spirits to receive the message of your word. Having heard and received your word, I pray that the power of your implanted spirit would give new hope and purpose to our lives. I pray that we would have joy, peace, and courage with which we would boldly dedicate and surrender those gifts which you have given us back unto the purpose of your perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen. So far, our study of types and shadows has been drawn based largely upon specific texts of Scripture and understanding the substance to which they point. As was pointed out earlier, God's truths are not limited merely to Scripture. Scripture, like all of God's revelation, is woven into the fabric of every aspect of God's creation. Apart from the creation of Adam and Eve, one of the most dynamic and profound actions God ordained was the creation and implementation of the union between Adam, i.e. a man, and Eve, i.e. a woman. As we shall see, the creation ordinance of marriage was, and still is, one of the greatest types and shadows which began in the garden and ends with the substance, Jesus Christ, and his elect bride, the church. While there are plenty of scriptures to support the framework for the existence of the model to be considered, the bulk of our study for this type comes from Jewish customs whose history goes back to Abraham, Isaac, and ultimately to Adam and Eve in the garden itself. A proper appreciation for this type must be preceded with an understanding for Jewish culture and customs. Once the seeds of respect for Jewish background are planted, the resulting fruit will never ripen unless the water of the new birth is applied. This water can only be found flowing as a result of the presence of Jesus Christ who abides in the heart of the believer by grace through faith in his completed work. Within the Jewish culture, as with many others, children were largely, if not entirely, dependent on their parents. The father was intended, rightly so, to be the spiritual leader of the home. There was a hierarchical respect for one's elders and for their authority of God. Many times in Jewish culture, the father would be responsible for seeking out and selecting a prospective bride and arranging a marriage for his son. In many instances, the bride and the groom never saw one another before their engagement. In other cases, the father would send his most trusted servant to seek out a bride for his son. We find this example in Genesis 24 with Abraham sending Eleazar to find a bride for Isaac, which we detailed in the episode entitled, the bride of Isaac. In other instances, the groom would himself do the seeking and selection of the bride. With this preliminary introduction, let us begin our discussion and study of the type and the shadow as well as the substance represented by the ritual of the ancient Jewish wedding. 
As in the case of Abraham, Eliezer, and Isaac, the first phase in the process of the ancient Jewish wedding consists of the seeking and selection of the bride, which is referred to in Jewish terms as Shidukin. As we examine the first phase of this type, it must be noted that it is the father, his servant, or the groom himself seeking the bride, and not the bride seeking the groom, his father, or the servant. As a result of the type and the substance, we observe the following parallels to the substance. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, quote, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, unquote. John chapter 6, verses 32 and 33 say, quote, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, and giveth life unto the world." Unquote. John chapter 6, verses 50 and 51 also say, quote, This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Unquote. John chapter 6, verse 44. Quote, for people can't come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up from the dead. Unquote. John chapter 15, verse 16. Quote, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Unquote. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, quote, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet still sinners. Unquote. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, quote, Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, unquote. The conclusion is inescapable. Like the ancient Jewish wedding, it is God who by His grace initiates the process of seeking out His bride, i.e. the church, to be. It is God who by His mercy extends His love to us while we, His bride, are yet in sin. John chapter 3 verse 16, quote, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, unquote. Once the father, his servant, or the groom had selected a prospective bride, it was expected that the groom would provide money with which to purchase the bride from her father. The father, groom, or servant would also supply a marriage contract which the bride, the bride's father, and the groom or his spokesman would sign. The father, groom, or their spokesman would also provide wine which would be used to toast a celebration in the event the bride consented to the agreement.
After the selection was made, the next step was to make a proposal and to establish a contract which initiates the bride and groom's engagement period. There are two Jewish terms called the Mohar and the Ketubah which are important to understanding the process. First, it was the responsibility of the groom to purchase the right to marry the bride from the bride's father. This purchase price, which was negotiated between the groom and the bride's father, is called the mohar. The mohar represented both the groom's love for his bride-to-be and a symbol of his provision to come. It was also a token of the bride's value and worth, both to the groom and to the bride's father. Consequently, the mohar was historically a high price. The mohar was given in exchange for the father of the bride and the bridegroom's father or his servant's written agreement called the ketubah. The ketubah includes the specific provisions and conditions of the proposed marriage. The third requirement was that the bride-to-be would give her consent to the marriage proposal. Once the bride gave her consent, the mohar was paid the parties would drink a glass of wine, and the ketubah was signed. The cup of wine is shared to seal the covenant of their marriage. This wine is symbolic in two respects. First, it is interesting, if not significant, when we recall that the very first time we hear of Jesus performing a miracle was when John records Jesus attending a Jewish wedding where he turns water into the very best wine available for the event. I submit that the event of this miracle goes far deeper than Jesus simply being superficially concerned about people being thirsty at a wedding 2,000 years ago. Instead, I believe Jesus was at an appointed place at an appointed time to further demonstrate another type and truth. Namely, in this type, Jesus was a guest at the wedding. But in substance, when that time comes for the wedding of the church to Jesus, it will be Jesus from who flows the living water. Those who enter into a relationship with him drink and will never thirst. As we who believe drink, it is by his power that the water is turned into wine and we become intoxicated by the fruit of his indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives. The wedding and miracle at Cana in Galilee is the opening ceremony in type demonstrating and memorializing the beginning of a relationship and eventual marriage between Jesus and his bride-to-be, the church, i.e. the outcalled ones. Secondly, the cup of wine mirrors the wine of the New Testament covenant used during communion. In Luke chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus observed the Passover supper and using the wine, i.e. the kudush, and the bread where he made the transition from the old covenant to the new when he said, quote, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you, unquote. Prior to this, God's people, the Jews, knew only the covenant of the law written in stone. They knew only the blood of goats and the sacrifice of animals for the propitiation of sins. During the final Passover, Jesus initiated a new covenant where God's laws would now be written in men's hearts 
and that all men's sins would be covered once and for all by the shed blood and sacrifice of Jesus. Within the Jewish week, Sabbath begins on Friday. During the Sabbath meal and Passover, the Kaddush ceremony is carried out while sitting down to the Sabbath meal. The cup of wine is prepared and held in hand by the head of the house, usually the father. A traditional benediction is recited prior to drinking the wine, called the Kaddush, as follows, quote, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who hath hallowed us by thy commandments, and hast taken pleasure in us, and in love and favor hath given us thy holy Sabbath as an inheritance, a memorial of the creation, that day being also the first day of the holy convocations, in remembrance of the departure from Egypt. For thou hast chosen us, and hallowed us above all nations, and in love and favor hast thou given us thy holy Sabbath as an inheritance. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who hallowest the Sabbath." From this point forward, the man and woman were considered by all involved as being husband and wife. By virtue of the marriage contract, the bride was regarded as consecrated and sanctified. She was set apart exclusively for her bridegroom, even though they were only engaged by today's standards. At this stage, the relationship was so legally binding that in order to break the ketubah contract, an actual bill of divorce would be required. In the Jewish culture, the groom could initiate a bill of divorce for certain specified reasons, while the bride had no such ability. At this point, we take pause to study and appreciate the comparisons between the type and the substance in question. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20 say this, And he took bread, and gave thanks, and brake it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also, the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you, unquote. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, quote, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood, unquote. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23 says, quote, we were bought at a price, so do not become slaves of men. Unquote. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Quote, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Unquote. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. Quote, but Christ being come and a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, 
How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that we, under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance." Unquote. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 say, quote, Knowing that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from our aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, unquote. By this time it should be evident that within the type of the ancient Jewish wedding, Jesus Christ is the substance of the earthly Jewish bridegroom who is seeking a bride for himself. As in the earthly type, like that of Abraham and Eleazar, God the Father sends his Holy Spirit to search, to find, to draw, and to seal the covenant between his bride, i.e. the church, and himself by a marriage relationship with his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, i.e. the bridegroom, is faithful to provide the price, the mohar, paid in full, sufficient to forevermore secure the purchase of his bride to himself. Jesus' love for his bride is deep and profound. She is beautiful and precious in his eyes. As a result, the mohar, i.e. the price, which Jesus has given, is all that he has and is of infinite and all-sufficient value. All that waits is for the bride to respond and to freely say, Yes. We find the type of this consent in Genesis chapter 24, verses 57 and 58. Quote, And they called Rebekah and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. Unquote. When Rebekah said, I will go, she gave her consent and went ultimately with Eleazar, who was the type of the Holy Spirit. It also reminds us as to the requirement on the believer's part to accept and confess by grace the proposal of salvation which God offers. Romans chapter 10 verse 10 gives the challenge and the solution to the dilemma at hand. Quote, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Unquote. In looking theologically at all of mankind throughout all history from beginning until God makes judgment, we know that not every bride, i.e. every person, will say, Yes. Some indeed can and do say no. The exact interplay and balance point between the role of the bridegroom, i.e. Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the bride are like the wind. God knows where the wind comes from and where it is going at any given time. Man, on the other hand, may see the effects of the wind, but few, if anyone knows when the wind will blow, where it will begin, and where it will end, or when it will stop blowing. In general, we must confine ourselves to say that salvation from sin is initiated proactively by God to man. 
The reason we know this is that Romans chapter 3 verses 9 through 23 make it clear that indeed no man by nature has the ability to approach God. We see then that depravity, inability, and unrighteousness is the conditional situation consistent with every man. There is no act, behavior, thought, or belief any man can point to, which any man can offer which would merit God's mercy, forgiveness, or justification. Instead, each man must exercise faith that Jesus Christ imputes his righteousness to our account, and by his grace he withdraws all unrighteousness for all time accrued to our account. Jesus has freely paid the withdrawal penalty due to us, which is death. Jesus' death and the penalty which he paid is paid in full and sufficient for all men. While the price Jesus paid was sufficient for all, it is efficient only for some, not all. Matthew chapter 13 verse 44 discusses this, quote, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy, therefore goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea, and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew it to shore, sat down, and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth, and sever the wicked from among the just." Going back to our type and relating it to the substance, Jesus, our bridegroom, makes the offer for all to hear. His proposal is forgiveness of all sin, life eternal, joy, peace, and assurance of salvation. He meets each of us where we are and offers payment, i.e. the mohar, sufficient to secure us from separation from God and to redeem us to himself. At some point, by His grace, we are drawn, we are called out, i.e. His church, the outcalled ones, the ecclesia, and we must make a choice to say yes and follow Him and become His bride, or say no, rebel and remain in sin. By saying yes, we, the bride, give consent to enter into a relationship at which time the contract, i.e. the ketubah, is signed and sealed by the Holy Spirit. The ketubah reflects the reality of the substance. Once the believer truly submits their heart and soul to Jesus, God imputes righteousness to the believer from Jesus, giving the believer a new nature and a new hope. The bride is no longer her own. She is bought with a price. The Holy Spirit fills the believer, empowering them and sealing their spirit to everlasting life. The relationship is final, and unlike the type, there can be no divorce from a marriage which was truly committed to begin with. After the ketubah was signed, the bridegroom, or more often his servant, would give the bride special gifts. 
The gifts were intended to show the groom's love for the bride. They were also intended to assist the bride during the time she was to await the groom's return and to thus remember him and his love during their time of preparation. We again see the example of this in Genesis chapter 24 verse 10 where Eleazar brings ten camels and also Genesis 24 verse 53 where Eleazar gives Rebekah gifts, jewels, and raiment. Whereas in our type the gifts are costly and precious, they are nonetheless earthly. As we examine the substance of the type, we realize that the gifts which Jesus is bestowing upon his bride are far better. First of all, we have hope and joy. We have joy that we are set free from the power and servitude of sin and death. Instead of the bondage of the flesh, we have power to be victorious through his resurrection. As Jesus was risen, ascended, and stands before the Father in righteousness, so too we have the assurance that we can rise from death, whether the death of our bodies or the death of sin, to ascend to life eternal where we too can stand in the presence of the Father, covered by Jesus' righteousness. Next, in this life, Jesus bestows his gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and works through us to equip us with those gifts of the Spirit which can be used to the glorification of God and or the edification of His church. These various gifts give the bride, i.e. the church, the ability to stand and withstand the tribulations and trials which Satan, the world, and the flesh beset us with. Instead of being consumed and destroyed by tribulations and trials, we are purified, sanctified, and matured by them. Another tradition of the ancient Jewish wedding is the mikvah. The mikvah is undertaken around the same time of the ketubah. The mikvah is a ritual of immersion of the bride and the groom separately into water to cleanse them. It is symbolic of spiritual purification to prepare each for betrothal. Many Jewish homes historically had a special bath chamber which was used on Friday, on Passover, or other special occasions for the Jewish believer to bathe and purify themselves of ceremonial uncleanness. Consequently, the type of the mikvah shadows the substance of baptism. Like the mikvah, Baptism is itself symbolic of obedience to Jesus as well as the desire implanted by the Holy Spirit to die to self and to live for Christ. The faith of the believer in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his grace imparted to the believer starts the process and makes us a new creation. As his Holy Spirit nurtures our new nature, we are led to be conformed day by day from our old nature to his nature. Baptism and communion are two New Testament covenant reminders which mirror Old Testament rituals. Ultimately, both covenants are types which allow the believer to interact in faith with God regarding the substance of a contractual promise given by God to those who choose to accept the contract by faith. As far as the mikvah, i.e. the water of baptism, is concerned, baptism, like the mikvah, 
is seen to spiritually purify the believer. When the believer comes to the water of baptism, they bury their old nature, their flesh, their sin, and their desire to self by faith under the water. As the believer emerges from the water, they emerge by faith and by the grace of God to the newness of life eternal through the same shed blood which covered them to begin with. Our old nature, our sin, is buried with Christ and it is dead. There is no more separation between God and the believer. The believer rises with Christ from the waters with his new nature by the same power which allowed Christ to conquer death, hell, and the grave. As we rise, we are able to stand justified before God and are seen as righteous through Christ. As we take time to review our type, we have seen the bride who has no power to deliver herself, but instead waits for delivery to a better hope. In some cases, the bride may not even know that she is without hope or that she is indeed waiting. While the bride waits, the groom, i.e. Jesus, seeks to save his bride. His bride, by another analogy, is the sheep who are lost and gone astray. Jesus, i.e. the good shepherd, seeks to save the lost and to redeem it to himself. The Holy Spirit, who is typified by the trusted servant Eleazar, is working to draw the bride to help her see that she in fact needs redemption. The Holy Spirit is preparing the groundwork within the heart of the bride so that she will in fact say yes and accept the groom's marriage proposal. The bridegroom, i.e. Jesus, does not come empty-handed. He knows that the bride's worth is precious. Jesus' riches are infinite. He has prepared and paid the price sufficient from his eternal resources to once and for all secure his bride to himself. Since the bride's price is paid, the bride only needs say, yes, and accept the groom's, i.e. Jesus's, offer. As the bride accepts Jesus's offer, she drinks of the cup of wine, which is the type of drinking the cup of communion. This acceptance and drinking of the cup is the bride's participation in placing herself in a relationship by faith underneath the covering of Jesus's death and shed blood. Our old nature our sin, and our flesh are crucified. They die and are buried in the tomb alongside Jesus by His grace. By His power we are resurrected again whereupon we leave all of the old things behind us in the tomb. As Jesus walks in the newness of life, so too the bride walks in the newness of life by His power. By this point, the bride and groom have signed and entered into the contract of marriage. Whereas before they were acting independently, they are now moving, acting, and behaving as one flesh. The groom bestows many good and precious gifts to his bride. Each is a token and assurance of his love for the bride. Each gift fulfills some practical purpose according to the groom and his desire for the bride. 
Lastly, because of the bride's love for her groom, the bride bathes herself as a token of purifying and dedicating herself to the groom. The bath, i.e. baptism, is an anticipatory event portraying in type the purity and spotlessness which is to come over time as Jesus works to sanctify his bride and conform her into his own nature. Within the type and the substance of the ancient Jewish wedding, there is more yet to come. For the present, this concludes this episode. Please join me for part two of the ancient Jewish wedding. Thank you for listening. Oh